We clap. It's good to be in God's house, isn't it? <laughs> well, hey, if you are here for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us today. Um, even if you don't understand anything that we do as a church, we'll, we're still very glad that you're with us and you're joining us today. And for those joining us online, for the first time, welcome. And in addition to that, our family at SCI Chester in partnership with God Behind Bars. One more time, let's just welcome everybody. We're grateful for you. How many know finding family is hard? When you don't have people that you can call family, finding your fit and finding belonging to a home is not an easy process. It's a, it's a difficult process. It's a hard process. And sometimes the things that we look for aren't really the things we need. What we really need is someone to stand beside us. It's not what always makes us feel good. Um, it's, it's actually the, pre it's the presence of God. It's the right relationships in the right time and the right seasons encouraging us with the right words. Can somebody say Amen. And um, as we continue, actually, we're continuing our series today, Battle Lines, but we're finishing it up today, starting something new next week, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited about um, what we're going to talk about today. We're going to turn to the book of Nehemiah, but before we get to the book of Nehemiah, which I'm excited to read through that, we're going to read a lot of Bible today, in case you didn't read your Bible this week, okay? So we're going to read a lot of Bible, but before we get into that, um, I wanted to make you aware, as a family, we, we, I try to keep... The, the house, our family, uh, as up to speed as possible regarding expansion and everything that we're doing as a family. And obviously through the season that we've been through this past year, um, we've shifted gears in many ways. And we've, we haven't changed the vision of this house, but we've changed some strategy in the way that we're approaching some things. I know many people are always asking, hey, what about Collingswood? What's happening there? I want everyone to hear this. Um, it's our heart and our intention as a church to have locations throughout the region of this area. That is our heart and our intention. And I believe that's what God will bring to pass. Um, but this season has brought about some challenges. Um, in years past, it's been very easy to rent facilities um, and have the ability to be consistent in the space. But how many of you know, um, through the way that government and other agencies have operated, if you don't own a facility, um, you really have no control as to whether or not you meet there. So we've had to be very strategic in, in how we look to expand and continue to grow. Um, but I do want you to know that we have continued to proceed um, with expansions on this particular uh campus and we're pretty excited about it um, initially when we saw this property we we knew that God wanted to 
kind of put the stake in the ground here first, and out of this area, we continue to expand. And so we had a two-phase project. For some of you, this may be um, this may be new. You may not have ever heard this, but this phase of the building was considered phase one. And the plan is to do a second phase, which would be to my right, your left, in an auditorium that would seat um, upward to 1,800 people. Um, and it's a 65,000 numbers when they get that high. Sometimes they just turn all like gray when you start looking at them. But um, it's a large facility. And we're not just building a big building. That's not the intention. The intention is to reach more people for Jesus. And that's always the heart. I don't want to just do things to make ourselves feel good. Feel good. And I, I want to do things that... that have an eternal impact, that change marriages, that change families, that set people free from addictions, to introduce people to Jesus. That's the heart and the driver behind all of this. And it's not to just have a big church. I just want some of you to hear that. The intentions need to be on helping people find Jesus. And, and so we, in this season, um, when everything else seemed to shut down, I, I kept feeling the Holy Spirit urging me to, hey, aggressively advance. And I, I don't know what that means. How, how do I aggressively advance in broadcasting things? And so we've, we've tried to take that spirit, that what we felt was a word from God, into every aspect of what we were doing. And as it pertained to the expansion, we said, hey, why don't we move forward in getting all the permitting and the paperwork and the, and the approvals necessary um, in order to do that? Many of you may not know, but the, well, <laughs> um, the government agencies and local municipalities in the county, and I, lo I love them. Our, our township and our county has worked with us tremendously, but there are a lot of processes and procedures that you need to kind of <laughs> go through, and it can take a long time, years, in fact. But it was just like the hand of God in the season that we just went through. Um, there, there were, no one was really moving to do anything. But as a church, we were submitting applications, requesting use variances, requesting approvals in the state level, in the county level, in the municipality level. And I'm excited. Some of you already know this, but we've, approved, we've been approved at, to, with our use variance. And on August 5th, on August 5th, this is what I, I want to tell you. On August 5th, we're going in front of the Joint Land Use Board in Mullica Hill um, to get our preliminary and final site approval. Essentially, once we get that approval... Um, at our discretion and at our time, we can move forward with expansion in expanding parking lot to the south and in expanding the building and parking to the north um, to, to, to build out a bigger house for God. Can you say amen? And uh, pretty excited about it. And um, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I, I felt like um, people said, oh, the building's great. I said, it is. And it's by the grace of God we're in here. It's exciting. It's like you have a family of six, though, and you bought a car that only seats four. And they're like, yeah, but it's a new car. You're like, yeah, but two kids got to stay home. You know what I mean? It's like, and so it's been good. And, and um, I mean, if you look around in this room, it's the middle of the summer. And, and our first two services are, are nearly full. And the kids are, are expanding and pushing against the walls over Encompass Kids. And uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. God's house should be filled with praise and it should be filled with excitement and zeal and joy. And so all we're doing is enlarging the tent pegs to our, to our home and we're gonna to continue to increase. So what I want you to do is, and in case you don't know this, everything we do as a family begins with prayer and is sustained with prayer. And I want you to know something. It's not just the public prayer of standing up on a platform. It's the times where it's just you and the Lord it's just you and God, 
It's you and your spouse. It's you and your family. And just praying that God would go before you and give you favor. And I want you to know that God has given us tremendous favor. But I would like you to just pray for the August 5th meeting. For those of you who live in Mullica Hill um, and you're a resident of the area, if you want to attend, that's fine. Just be on your best behavior. Um, I've never done that before. It's always just been me and, and uh, two staff. And we just show up really quiet and... and um, and I told uh, the mayor, who's been very nice with us, I said, well, is it all right if I tell our church? He's like, yeah, that's fine. How many will come? And I'm like, I don't even really want to know how many will show up. <laughs> but now the cat's out of the bag. I've already said it. So, But pray, pray for that if you'd like to attend. If you're a resident, you're more than welcome to attend. And I'm super excited about it because this is what I know. I know that when the gospel of Jesus enters a home through the hearts of people, things are never the same. They're never the same. Generations are never the same after that. Families are never the same. And that's what we're called to do, is to build something that outlasts every single person in this room. Think about that. To be committed to something of the fruit that you'll never see, but you know that it'll come to pass. And to build something that your great, great, great grandchildren or your family, spiritually even speaking, will get to meet Jesus. We'll get to find a place of reconciliation. We'll get to be raised in the ways of God. And no matter how crazy the world continues to get, this place will be a beacon of hope and a beacon of light in the community. Amen? I want to read you what it says in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, before we get into our text. It says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaves do not wither. Whatever they do, it prospers. That's my prayer for every family in this house. It's my prayer for every single person that's following Jesus. That regardless of what we do, regardless of the seasons that we walk through, the hand of God and the hand of the blessing of God is upon our families and our marriages. Will you pray with me before we begin today? Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that you set out to give us vision. And Father, I pray that we can count the cost, that we can, that we can understand what you've called us to as a family. And Father, I thank you for every family member represented in this place. I thank you that you love them, that you care for them, that you know them, that you have a purpose and a plan for them, a hope and a future for them. And Father, I thank you that you strengthen us, you refine us through the preaching and teaching of your word. Holy Spirit, I know you've already been present in this place. As we worship, you inhabit the praises of your people. And so Father, we welcome you here in this place do what only you can do in our presence. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, the book of Nehemiah, um, if you haven't read through the book of Nehemiah, it's, it's one of those books where, um, I'm not going to lie, you can be incredibly discouraged because of the, the names that are through the book. Have you ever read some Old Testament books? You're like, ah, I'm going to read that book. I'm going to read Habakkuk. And you open it up and you're like five chapters in. You're like, I think I just skipped over 45 words because I cannot pronounce any of them. And then I don't know about you, but I love um, when I read the word by myself, I could just, I just make up the names. You know what I mean? 
So as you, you act real confident, you just say the name. You're like, that is not how you pronounce it, but that's how I will read it. And um, sometimes it's discouraging, and it's like name after name after name, and you look at the next chapter, and you're like, this is 45 lines of names that I cannot pronounce. Don't be discouraged by that. There are, there are, there's so much substance in the text in the book of Nehemiah, and I want to give you a little background on it. Because I believe the battle that we're experiencing today here in our nation, if we look back to the book of Nehemiah, we can learn about how to fight the battle that we're in today. In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were really one book and told a story of three journeys back from Babylon to Jerusalem, those who were exiled into Babylon, and it told their specific stories of them going from Babylon back to Jerusalem. The first journey is recorded of Zerubbabel, and he would go back um, to primarily restore the altar and the temple of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed. That was the first journey. The second one is Ezra. And, and that, that second journey, which was led by Ezra, happened 50 years later after the first journey. And that primary goal was to restore really the spiritual discontent or the lost and hopelessness that abided in the hearts of the people. And then the final journey, which was recorded, is the one we're going to give attention to today, is Nehemiah. It was 15 years after um, Ezra's journey. Uh, there was a, 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 the journey by Nehemiah, and his goal and intention was to go back and to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, it's not a, it's not a figurative um, wall. It's a literal wall that surrounded the city of Jerusalem, and and as we begin, I want you to see the favor of God upon, upon Nehemiah. Nehemiah at the time was an official in the court of Artaxerxes, and he was a, a cupbearer. You know, initially when you read that, you're like, a cupbearer? What is that? Like, what, does he like take out the garbage? Does he like just get tea and wine? Like what? It was actually a very honored role. And God had given him favor in that role. And it's interesting because... That position to be held by someone like Nehemiah was nothing more than the hand of God. And it's interesting because I want you to know that simple fact encourages me. It encourages me because even though there can be someone who's in authority, who denies the things of God, God can still give his people favor. And I want, I want you to know something, that even though we can live through seasons of spiritual drought and we can live and experience what seems to be a hopelessness in the society in which we live, God's people still have favor. The blessing of God can still be upon you. You can still thrive in seasons when other people aren't thriving. And I have to tell you something. This past year, this past season, I, I, my eyes have been opened to the favor of God and the blessings of God. I've watched things, uh, businesses kind of fall out of the bottom and, and, and be destroyed. And then I've watched the hand of God give increase to families. I've seen people go through challenges and difficult seasons, yet I've seen God restore it and give favor back to families. Only God can do that. If we read in chapter 1, verse 1, listen to what the Word of God says. It says, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hagaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the twelfth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. And also about Jerusalem. He's saying, how are, how are our people doing? How's the city? How's Jerusalem? 
And they said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, this is Nehemiah. Listen to what the scripture says. He says, when, I've heard, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before God of heaven. Nehemiah hears the news of Jerusalem. He knows it's not going well. The people are hopeless. The city is broken down. The gates are destroyed. And so at this point, he's, he's, he's overwhelmed with emotion. He's living in the palace with a king, but he knows his people are not where they should be. In spirit, in protection in the city walls, the walls broken down. And so he uses the favor that God gives him. And he takes a, pet a petition to King Artaxerxes and he tells him of the plight of the people of Jerusalem. He says, my, my people are, are in a difficult season and things are not good. And, and he asked him, and it's interesting because God gave him favor probably because of the influence of Esther. And here it is, God continues to pass influence to people that honor him and love him, even though it's within a culture of people who despise the things of God. Yet God takes care of his own and preserves them and protects them. So Artaxerxes makes Nehemiah and commissions him as essentially the governor of Jerusalem. He gives him timber. He gives him protection and private escort to take him through the provinces to get back to Jerusalem and commissions him or releases him and gives him autonomy with the king's approval, you can rebuild the walls. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter two records what happens when Nehemiah arrives at the city. It says, and then he said to them, and he's arriving to, in Jerusalem, you see the trouble we are in? He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. He says, come and let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. And so the people replied and said, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. <laughs> you know, it's... It's interesting because, well, the truth is many cities in America are broken. <laughs> They're hurting. They're in pain. Things aren't good. And there's parts of our nation and really across the globe that aren't doing well. And one of the things that I often dwell upon is not the solutions of how to fix them in my own strength, but to recognize what happens in our own humanity when we choose to do things apart from God. When we choose to, to navigate and set a course and say, this is what we will do to fix and to solve and to restore and to heal and to mend our problems. <laughs> the statement in and of itself demonstrates that you don't know what the real problem is. The problem is, is that God is absent from the equation. That you haven't permitted him to bring what only he can bring to, to humanity, which is healing and restoration and provision. It's interesting because even if you're not a believer in Jesus, I've read some recent articles that I think they're agnostics or atheists 
that have written about statistics of this nation. And it's fascinating because they're giving statistics that essentially are the byproduct of what happens when God is removed from society. The enemy attempts to dismantle marriage in whatever way possible. And when they can attempt to dismantle or disrupt marriage, whether it's by divorce or by defining marriage however they choose, things within the family unit begin to unravel. And when the family unit begins to unravel, then all of a sudden the statistics start to go crazy. Numbers start to skyrocket or begin to plummet. When there's an absence of a father in the, in the family home, when homes are filled with hopelessness and fear, and there's no one there to guide and direct and to give identity and purpose and value, no one to steer hearts and vision of people to God. Everyone is left filled with fear and animosity and worry, and everyone is left to do what is right in their own eyes. And it's fascinating because these individuals, these sociologists, seem perplexed by society. I can't understand why things are happening this way. <laughs> it seems that when a father is absent, things start to go crazy. It seems when there's a broken family unit, there's not a strength of identity and purpose in the individual. My friend, when the plans of God are not only altered, but when they are intentionally dismissed, will live in the results of what happens. <laughs> in chapter 3, Nehemiah does something, and I want you to be attentive to what he does. He organizes and divides up the people of God in the city to help rebuild it. Now, he does this by families. He puts certain families in charge of certain sections and gates in front of where they live. And each family, imagine this, imagine um, Nehemiah shows up on the scene and people could tell when he arrived that he wasn't just there on his own accord. He came with an entourage and it wasn't just an entourage to make him look good. He came with material. He came with stuff. He came prepared. He came ready to go. And he almost immediately built his leadership equity on the simple fact that I'm arriving and it's not about me. I want to rebuild the walls of not even a home where I live, but it's my people. And I want to help you rebuild it. And the people I can imagine were looking around saying, hey, hey, we're in. Let us, let us rebuild. Now, as a leader, he's, try, he's probably trying, how do I get them to buy into this? It's going to be hard. This could probably take years. This could take a long time. How do I get people to buy into, to labor day and night, to build, to rebuild this wall around the entire city? <laughs> so he begins to divide up the work. But he does so with, with, he's a bit clever in the way he does it. Because he goes around by the families and he says, hey, listen, this family, I want you to rebuild the section of wall that's right in front of your home. <laughs> They're like, well, that's the most important section of the entire wall. So we will make sure that is done right. And he says, you know what? I want this family. You rebuild the wall in front of your home. And you rebuild the wall in front of your home. And you rebuild the wall in front of your home. And all of a sudden, everyone saw value in rebuilding the wall. Because it directly affected their home and those who lived in it and those they loved. And so when everyone labored together to build something that not only helped them but helped everyone within it, he was able to accomplish something great. Each leader took responsibility for the work that they have. For the greater city would be impacted when everyone took the individual responsibility 
to work within their homes and to begin there first. You know, when we look at what's happening in our nation, it's overwhelming sometimes to say, well, how do we make a difference? I'm going to tell you, it seems insignificant, but start in your home. Start in your marriage. Start with your children. Start with your grandchildren, with your brothers and your sisters. And that's how we begin. That's how we help people. It's interesting because when we can look at the, 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 the landscape, how many of you remember Bijou Thampi? How many of you remember Bijou when he comes and he speaks? It takes a few minutes. I love it when Bijou comes. I always say to him, hey, st- talk slowly when you start because he goes for it hard and his accent's hard. Most of the time people are just like, and like, they're like, I could understand about 10 minutes in. I'm like, well, that's terrible. But um, I love Bijou. He runs Vision Rescue. He's a close friend, not only to, to our family, but to Pastor Eric and Pastor Joanne and really to the church. And he tells his story that one day he was traveling through Mumbai and he was waiting for a train. And he saw young children while he was waiting going over to the dumpster, little children, two, three, four-year-old children, climbing into the dumpster, getting food out of the dumpster, and sitting behind it to eat. And you remember being so disturbed by that and sitting there and praying earnestly to God, saying, someone needs to do something. Someone needs to do something. And he tells the story with the sense that he felt overwhelmed to pray about it, that God would bring a solution. And at the end of the prayer... To his surprise, the solution was himself. God says, I want you to go. He says, no, God, that's not what I'm praying. I want you to send somebody to fix the problem. God says, you're the somebody. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't want God to tell us we're going to be the somebody. To lead, to carry weight. Where God calls you, he'll supply what you need to accomplish that which he's called you to. And you have to know that he's the supplier, not you. And so Bijou began by caring for one, and then for two, and then for three. And now thousands and thousands and thousands of children are fed every day in Mumbai that are walking the streets. They're not only fed, they're educated. They're given homes, and they're encouraged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Value is instilled in them. And they receive things that they would have never received if one person didn't say, hey, I'll begin to build something significant for God. Every time we choose to build something, I suppose the first question we need to ask ourselves is, who am I building this for? Is it for me or is it for God? Will it die with me and end with me or will it live well beyond myself? Many people who come to our church, I have to tell you, when we first went out to look for loans, to, we did take a partial loan on, construction, on constructing this building. And when we were initially talking to banks, it was very perplexing to them. They were really confused. We sat down with the first banker, and I remember in the conversation, um, they started asking questions, and I, we were just on different pages. And have you ever had a conversation with someone, and you're like, oh, no, no, we're not talking about the same things. And th- they started to talk, and essentially what he was trying to ask is, who underwrites the church? Like, what he was asking is, who is the, who is the guy or the gal? Who cuts the check? And I said, Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you're asking. He says, well, who pays for it? I said, the people. Yeah, well, like, which people? 
And I think what he was trying to find out is, is there one person, two people? And I started to smile and I looked at him and I said, um, here, I had this packet with me. I said, here are the largest gifts that come in on a weekly, bi-weekly basis when people bring the tithe. And he says, I'm sorry, what's, what's that? <laughs> I said, here we go. I'm going to teach you about the tithe. Okay, so, and I did. I told him everything about the tithe and he was like, interesting, you know. <laughs> he was so confused by it. And I said, this is thousands of families, single moms, single dads, grandmothers, grandfathers, young people and old people alike bringing their best and their first to God. That's how we build his house. Wow, okay. Well, that's neat, all right. So uh, there is no big giver that like just cuts the check. I'm like, man, do we have to do this all over again? I'm gonna tell you this like four or five times. He was confused and perplexed that people would choose to invest in something to build something for God without getting some immediate return for themselves. I'm not going to lie, at the end of that meeting, I could tell walking out, I said to my father, I was like, he's going to be thinking about that for months. You know? <laughs> he's so confused that people will be willing to give something beyond themselves to build something for God. And you know that's exactly what happens to Nehemiah. He began to delegate the wall to be reconstructed, and the people were excited. But there were many people living in the area that saw Jerusalem as a threat, and they didn't want them to rebuild. And in the same way, there are people in our communities and in our cities and in our nation that see the people of God as a threat. They don't like the fact that, that the church, some churches continue to grow and continue to expand. And though they might quietly stand off to the side as the church continues to grow, they can begin to get louder and louder and speak in opposition to the expansion of the things of God. In Nehemiah chapter 4, it says, When Samballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became very angry and was great, greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it will break down their wall of stones. Sanballat ridiculed what God had put in the hearts of the people to do. They gossiped about it. They mocked and judged the motives and the intentions of why they were rebuilding the wall. They made fun of what they were doing. They saw no value in rebuilding something for God. What does God put in your heart to rebuild? What does he put in your heart to rebuild? And will it last? <laughs> Are you investing everything in your life, or your life rather, into something that is temporal or into something that is eternal? It's a hard question, but I want to encourage you to entertain it and don't slide it under the carpet or under the rug. What are you giving your life to and will it outlast you? Will it make an eternal difference? Ridicule can always follow a plan of something significant. 
And if it's significant, you should expect ridicule to come. Some of you, you're trying to rewrite a generation of hopelessness. Rewrite a generation of godlessness in your family line. You're trying to reestablish what marriage, healthy marriage looks like. You're trying to reestablish a family line that is not plagued by alcoholism and drugs. You're trying to reestablish some things for God. And there's going to be people around you to mock you. They're going to make fun of you. They're going to say, who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than we are? You're going to be just like everyone else that has gone before you. I want you to know, church, that when we first started to gather with 30 people at the American Legion Hall in 2006, no one cared about True North Church. No one had any thoughts about it. In many people's eyes, we were just going to be here today and gone tomorrow. There was just going to be kind of a bleep on the radar and no one would even really have to remember the name. And then the moment church started to get traction, it actually began with the youth. It was called Sold Out and it was causing some disruption in the area. (laughs) People were finding value and hope in Jesus and people were perplexed by it. Almost every parent that came out to to sold out the night they were dropping them off, they all had the same question. We just wanted to make sure this wasn't a cult. No. And many of the parents would come out and they'd say, hey, I just want to, I don't know how to say this, but I'm just kind of concerned because my kid likes doing something with church. Do you think I could come in and just make sure like what you guys are doing is like, okay? We're like, yeah, you can come in and stand in the back. And so people would come and, They'd hear us talk about Jesus and worship and have a zeal for the things of God. And I remember people used to come in and everyone used to come in and they used to say the same thing. They used to say, hey, you do all of this every Sunday. You set up all of this stuff and take it down every Sunday. For over 12 years, even at two locations, and when we first started at one point, we were doing one service at the American Legion, and then we were going and doing the other one at, an, at the Grange Hall in Molica Hill at the time. And so there's two setups and teardowns every Sunday. We didn't do it for ourselves. We didn't do it to prove other people wrong. Some of you are motivated to prove other people wrong. And I remember being raised and being in sports, and people were saying, if people say you can't do it, prove them wrong. Can I tell you something? Don't let that drive you. Don't give them the attention or the value in your mind. Let God be the driver. Let his love for you be the one that drives you. Not the negativity of other people. Nehemiah didn't build the wall because everyone was so negative. He built the wall because it was doing something for God and his people. And even when adversaries come around you, some of you are like, I'm going to take all the negativity and let it fuel me. Don't let it fuel you that long. Let God be the one that drives you. Do it for him. That's where the value is. And when you continue to do it, people will come. And, and you know what the thing was? At, at, at first, I was discouraged by it because people would come. And our worship team is amazing. And, and, they, and I didn't think at times it was a bad preach that I had. But I was like, hey, what did you love about the church? And, and they'd be like, I can't believe you do this every Sunday. The commitment and the devotion to just be faithful to God in a culture where things come and go overnight is confusing to people. I don't understand it. I want you to know as a church, we're not done building for God. We're not done expanding. We're not done growing. 
And it's well beyond any one person. We have grown and will always grow as a church, not on the backs of one or two people, but through the faithful dedication and generosity of many people, bringing their best, bringing their skills and their talents and their sacrifice to God. And I'm excited because sometimes what seems to feel like the finish line is really the starting line. And I knew that when God would release us and bless us with this facility, though at times it may feel like we've accomplished what he set us out to accomplish, but really this would be the beginning of something significant far beyond what all any of us could dream or imagine that God chooses us to redeem humanity, chooses you to redeem humanity. And I want you to know that what he chooses us, not because he had no other option. He chooses us as his option, his choice, his go-to. Nehemiah 4, it says, he says, so when we rebuild the wall, so we rebuilt the wall rather, to all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all of their heart. But when Samballot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to the Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet his threat. And meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is still much rubble that we to work through and we cannot rebuild the wall. Verse 13, after Nehemiah hears the struggles of the people, he says this. He says, I'm going to station some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, for your sons and your daughters and your wives and your homes. And when your enemies and when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall. We went back to doing things for God each to our own work. And from that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears and shields and bows and armor. And the officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. And those who carried material, those who were laboring for God, they did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man, the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. <laughs> Nehemiah's first response to opposition and to threat wasn't to worry, wasn't to panic, wasn't to call King Artaxerxes and say, hey, I need some more people, I need some help, and call in favors from people. That's not what he does. He prays to God. And he says, God, help us. Give us direction and guidance. Nehemiah acted wisely to confront each threat, whether the threat was physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. He wasn't passive. He was aggressive. 
He went after criticism, intimidation, exhaustion, distractions. And how did he do it? He, he called every single person within the family and said, lift your eyes. Just lift them. Just lift them. I know it seems simple and insignificant, but get your eyes off of your own weaknesses and lift them to Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. And when you lift your eyes to Jesus, he does something to you. He strengthens you in a way that you could never be strengthened. Strengthened. He gives you a grace that you never thought you could walk in. He gives you authority you never thought you would possess. He gives you strength and endurance that you never thought would be possible. And for every great work of God, I need you to hear me, church. There will be great opposition to that work. I could fill a book. It would be a big book. But every time someone told me no about this facility being here, And I have to tell you, early on, I remember contemplating using the negativity as fuel. It was crappy fuel, church. (laughs) It it didn't sustain me. I, I, I didn't want to do something just because someone told me I couldn't. I wanted to do something because God called me to do it. I want that to be the driver. I want that to be the motivation. I'm not out to prove people wrong. I'm out to do things to honor God. And I pray that's the same for you. May that be evident in your home to do something to honor God, not to be right in arguments, not to win things, not to just be the best around other people, but may everything that we accomplish, may it defer attention to, from, from ourselves and may we give it to God. Can you say amen? If you want to do something great for God, understand opposition will come. You don't run from it. You go right through it. You don't try to run around criticism and deception and uncertainty. I've been in dozens now of land use meetings and approvals. And the first meeting I ever went to was up in Haddon Township. And I'll never forget, I I wore a nice suit jacket and a collared shirt. and, And I didn't know what to expect. And church, I walked in there and I wasn't prepared emotionally for what was going to happen. I figured how bad could it be and there were a few people there who you could just tell were broken people and they were very upset that a church was looking to restore itself in the community and there was a time when this a woman walked in front of me and started screaming in my face and holding a picture of our proposed rendering of the facility that we inherited in Haddon Township and says, this does not belong here. And I remember in that moment, um, I just felt like the Holy Spirit say, in that moment, do you still want to build things for me? (laughs) Because if you do expect this, expect it. Don't be shocked by it. Don't be intimidated by it. Don't let it discourage you. Don't let it overwhelm you. Lift your eyes. Look to Jesus. Know that he's the one that sets the course for you. And though opposition may come, it's not coming. And he's unaware of it. He knows it's there. And can I tell you something? God's using that opposition not to weaken you, but to strengthen you. It'll strengthen your spirit. It'll strengthen your emotions. It'll strengthen your relationships. It'll drive you to your knees before Jesus. It'll allow you to open up the word of God. It'll create a greater dependency upon, you, upon him. And you'll realize that every step of the way that God calls you to go deeper into doing things for him, 
you become more and more aware, I cannot do this on my own. I need Jesus. God uses opposition to refine us, to grow us. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Let me pray for you today. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of us have spent our whole lives working to build things. Nehemiah moved by what was broken and moved to restore things for God, went to Jerusalem, and we learn in chapters 6 and 7 of the book of Nehemiah that he completed the construction of the wall, not in years, but in 52 days. When the people of God stand shoulder to shoulder and sacrificially give and serve and love and care, supernatural things can happen. Some of you here today have been listening to me speak about family, but you don't feel as if you belong. I want you to know we call ourselves family not because of our natural birth or even because of where we live or our job or career, our ethnicity, our income. We are family in Christ. Scripture says this. It says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world. This is the heart of Jesus. It's the heart of the Father. He so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, shall not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe the most powerful verse in all of the text, in verse 17, it speaks of the motive of God. Because our world says that believers in Jesus come to condemn, but the Bible teaches that God sent His Son into the world not to condemn the world, but rather to save the world through Himself. And so we who are in Christ are not in Christ because we've earned it or because we've worked for it. The Bible teaches us that we are not saved because we keep the law. We are saved through faith. Some of us here today, maybe you were raised in an environment that said you need, to, you need to adhere to this, 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 this. You can't save yourself, no matter how perfect your life looks. The Bible says in Romans that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin has a consequence. Scripture teaches us that if you, well, there's two options really. You can choose to pay for sin yourself. Or you can allow Christ to pay for your sin for you. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, the Bible teaches that you will be saved. That salvation is a unique thing. It's a spiritual rebirth. And the Bible says that you must be born again. And it's, it's not of good works. You can't buy it. You can't, you can't earn it. Some of you, I'm telling you, when I was in church, and I remember people giving an altar call, in my mind I wanted to. But when I started to think about it, I would say, yeah, but I need to fix this first. I need to get this right. I need to do this. My friend, you cannot fix those things apart from Jesus. You need him to overcome them, to win those battles. You can't fight them alone. And he doesn't dismiss you from coming to him because you're not all together. You'll never be together apart from Him. It's only in Him and through Him 
that you find purpose and fulfillment. So if you're here today watching online, you're ready to say yes to Jesus. I want to lead you in a simple prayer. I say simple because it's only a few lines. But my friend, there's power in confession and belief. It'll change your eternity. The Bible says that when you confess and when you believe, it says your spirit is made alive. That which is dead and dormant now is alive. The old is gone and the new has come. Your sins are as far as the east is from the west. God no longer sees you as broken and sinful, but he sees you covered in the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And he sees you standing not in your own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Jesus. (laughs) That's why it's the good news. So come on, church, let's say this prayer together. Lead people to Jesus. Say, dear heavenly father, I receive your son, Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I believe that you died on the cross and conquered sin and death. I'm now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody. Come on, really celebrate everybody that said yes today. That's why we do this, church. Hey, come on, stand to your feet with me as we, as we close today. Hey, I want to encourage you wherever you find yourself in your journey with Jesus. Don't. God brings new things all the time. And it's not because God has forgotten to bring new things. It's sometimes we're more entertained by what the world brings than what he brings. Give your focus to Jesus. Spend time with him this week. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Feed on the word of God. Let him nourish you. Let him encourage you. And let him guide and direct you. If you said yes to Jesus today, it is by far the greatest decision you've ever made in your life, hands down. And we want to celebrate with you as you exit today. If you're here um, and not watching online, but if you're here and as you exit into the lobby, you're going to see people and they're going to be waving um, these New Testament Bibles or some material in here to help you get connected with this family. And um, we really want to help you in your journey with Jesus. We just don't want this to be a one-time moment and then, and then you're right back in step with everything in the past. We really believe that you're a new creation in Christ now. The old is gone and the new has come. That your identity is not in anything that the world gives, but it's found in Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone. And uh, we want to help you in that. You can't do this life alone, so make sure that you let somebody know. Stop and get a Bible. If you're watching online, we'd love to send you a Bible as a resource and encourage you in your journey with Jesus as well. And I just want to remind you, there are people always taking their next steps. Today is the third, I believe, class of growth track. And there are many people taking that, finishing up growth track, and then onboarding into areas in the church to serve on team. And in addition to that, I think there are over 20 people that are getting baptized today after our third service who are excited about that, which is fantastic. One of our core values is we're made to move. So I'm just going to leave you with that thought. Where do you need to move in your journey with Jesus? What areas is he pushing you in? Sometimes you overthink it. Just be obedient and say, okay. And on the other side will be a blessing you never thought possible. Stretch your hands to heaven. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you guide us and you direct us in all of our ways. God, continue to lead us. Holy Spirit, this week, speak to us. Guide us and direct us in conversation. And Father, we thank you that you've given us the victory. 
We thank you that even though it appears it is as if the enemy is taking ground in our families, in our marriage, in our jobs, in our, in, our, in our larger family unit. Father, I thank you that you've given us the victory. I thank you that, that greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. I thank you that as we leave here today, we're going to leave encouraged, inspired by your word, more dependent upon you. Father, increase our prayer life. Increase the time that we spend in the scriptures. Father, may we meditate on your word day and night. So regardless Regardless of the season, we'll prosper, not because of what we do, but because of our dependency upon you. Father, go with us as we go. In your precious and holy name, we, we pray. A faithful church said, amen. Amen. God bless, guys.